0: Hey everyone, welcome to Sailing the Seas of Education. My name is Rad Mayfield and these podcast voyages focus on issues relevant to teachers' roles as educational leaders. The winds of education are constantly changing. These voyages exemplify the great things that our teacher leaders are doing as we navigate the challenging seas of education. Sailing those seas of education, like real sailing, which I love, requires the crew to work collaboratively to reach their destination. So let's get sailing. I've held many positions of leadership over my teaching career. Some of those have been formally defined, while some were self-defined and arose through interests I had in leading particular efforts in my schools. I served as a department chair at East Rutherford High School in North Carolina, and while there also served as a chairman of the school improvement team during an accreditation cycle. In addition, I was part of the school's leadership team, which served in an advisory capacity to our principal in matters of curriculum and instruction. All of these were formal leadership roles. In my current school, we don't have department chairs, but I have served on the school leadership team as well as on the district professional growth and performance evaluation committee, which I currently co-chair. Much of the leadership I have embarked on here in Maine has been informal. In fact, none of the roles I've held here were formalized in the sense that they were not contractual and I've never received compensation for those roles that I've been appointed to. As a preface to the discussion, I want to mention a work by Andy Hargraves and Michael Fullan published in 2012, titled Professional Capital, Transforming Teaching in Every School. Professional capital has three components. The first is human capital, and in my mind, that represents the sum of the capacities of the members of a school with respect to pedagogical and content area expertise and understanding of the work that is undertaken. The second is social capital. It's the glue that holds people together in organizations. It's bolstered when relationships have opportunities to develop and grow in strength between members of the school and structures like professional learning groups. The third component is decisional capital, and my understanding of this is that it consists of qualities that individuals possess and allow them to make sound judgments and decisions relative to their roles in the school. Decisional capital then is primarily a function of experience, but if good relationships are maintained and supported through social capital and individuals possess a high degree of expertise, human capital, certainly that decisional capital can be developed and shared with less experienced individuals. One of my informal leadership roles was tied to the pandemic and grew from my concern over the challenges our district staff would face in shifting from in-person to remote and then hybrid education. When COVID struck in the spring of 2020, I recognized that teachers, including myself, were struggling with the sudden change of tack as instruction moved online. I wanted to create an opportunity for teachers to help each other deal with the struggle. I also recognize that many of our district leaders held the professional capital to navigate the rough and uncharted waters of COVID toward a better model of teaching in this maelstrom of change. And so in an effort to both take advantage of and raise our professional capital, I organized a series of short workshops led by our district teachers and support staff that focused on how to improve our capacity to provide a quality education for our students in our new environment. This is just one example of the things that teacher leaders undertake, sometimes as a formal leader in their school and sometimes voluntarily and informally. Either way, those teachers who step up to lead are seen by their administrators as important to the success of their schools. This episode will delve into some nuance of differences between formal and informal teacher leadership roles, both of which are vital in successful schools, but will mostly be a conversation about how two teacher leaders have exercised leadership in their schools. In an earlier episode, I spoke with Dr. Josh Tripp, a high school principal in Maine, about the importance of teacher leadership and collaboration. In this episode, Jen Scala, who Josh identified as a teacher leader. In this episode, Jen Scala, whom Josh identified as a strong teacher leader at Bucksport High School will join me. Also joining the conversation will be Samantha Mahar, who is in a formal leadership role as department chair of fine arts at John Baptist High School, which is a nearby private school. She was identified by her head of school, Dr. David Armistead, as a strong teacher leader. We will delve into how they have developed the qualities of teacher leaders over their career, and we'll explore their perceptions of teacher leadership. We'll also see if we can find any distinction as to how the difference in the formality of leadership roles impacts the decisions they make as leaders and the ways in which they go about their roles as leaders. Welcome both of you to the program. Good to have you both here. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and to discuss the importance of your roles as teacher leaders in your school. Could each of you just tell our listeners a little bit about your career and how long you've been teaching, how long you've been at your school, what you teach, or any other information that will help us all better understand who you are as a teacher leader? Samantha, you want to start with that one?
1: Sure. Uh, I've been at John Babs for the last 12 years, uh, which is when I started teaching high school I've been department head for five years. Previous to that, I lived in New Jersey, and I did more out-of-school settings for teaching, so some after-school things, uh, community organization. And I also did work in an elementary school and pre-K setting in special education.
0: Great. How about you, Jen?
2: Sure. Um, my career really began... Um, an undergrad uh, at the University of Maine Machias where I actually studied uh, marine science and aquaculture. Um, And that's kind of led me through some evolutions, I guess I'll say, um, through some different uh, master's degrees uh, in environmental education, um, library media science, as well as uh, education administration. I taught seventh grade life science at the Bucksport Middle School for 11 years. And after that, I came to the high school and I'm the district librarian here and I've been here since. So uh, i been in Bucksport for 19 years now. Um, also uh, during this time, I have taught at uh, the university level teaching environmental science classes on and off.
0: Nice. And so you're, you're a certified school administrator?
2: I've done all the coursework for it, yeah.
0: Okay. All right, so like I said in the introduction of the episode, one of the areas that I want to explore with both of you is the difference between formal and informal leadership roles. It sounds like you both have have taken on some of each of those. So um, I guess I would just ask, would it be fair to say that, Jen, right now in your school, because you don't have department heads, would you say that you're more of an informal leader in your school, or would you say—
2: I am definitely an informal leader in my school. Okay.
0: And then Samantha as department chair, then you are certainly a titled formal (laughs) leader in that role. And like most teachers, you probably have some informal leadership roles as well.
1: Yeah, that's accurate.
0: All right, good. So, So how about we take a few minutes for you guys just to describe the leadership roles that you hold in your school and also... Um, would like to think about how did you come to those roles? Were they roles that you pursued yourself? Were they roles you were asked to take? Were they roles you were told to take, which also happens? <laughs> so I'd just like to hear about how you came into the various roles that you perceive as the ways that you lead in your schools.
1: Um, so about my second year of teaching, I went through a formal evaluation process, which is a year long Cycle of evaluations and self reflection and the summative part of that was a meeting with the head of school and he really encouraged me to get more involved in committees, so I think that would be my entry into a leadership role. Um, in my first two years there weren't a lot of committees to volunteer for but in the next several years we went through reaccreditation. accreditation. Um, there was some work on some school policy, so I volunteered for anything that seemed like a good fit for my skills. So I'd say that's how I got into the more informal, like none of those were stipended. <laughs> um, uh, and then from there, the opportunity to become department head came open. There was a transition in the department with someone retiring and some shifting of roles. And it seemed like a really good fit just with all the personalities in the department. And I've got some skills with you know, organizing things and keeping those running. So I stepped in there. Um, Unopposed, I guess you could say there was no one else who wanted the job. (laughs) And then um, I also do quite a bit sort of as tech support more informally, um, especially with the beginning of the pandemic, because we switched over so quickly. um, Everybody had to do Google Classroom and previous to going remote, I had done some just volunteer over the summer workshops with people on Google Classroom because I liked it so much and I felt really comfortable with it. So when that switch happened um, on a Friday, next Monday, I was doing a little uh, workshop for people there. And then throughout the pandemic, I would help people through different tech issues they had, make screen recordings for them. Um, So I think that's how a lot of people in in the building would see me sort of informally as a leader.
0: I remember um, because Dr. Armistead is in my cohort, I do remember that you guys had the option to be in person or to be at school. And I'm guessing you chose to be at school.
1: Uh, it was both actually. So uh, in, let see in April of 2020, I gave birth to my second son oh. um, and daycare became a really big issue. In the fall of 2020, I brought him to school with me as an infant until about Thanksgiving um, and then that wasn't going to work out so well, but there was nowhere for him to go. So then I was home until about April um, of 2021 until a, a position opened for him to be in daycare. So I, I was both throughout the previous school year.
0: So, so you're the department chair for fine arts. What, what fine arts do you teach?
1: I teach visual arts uh, mainly, okay. so I do photography, some digital art, and some traditional media here as well.
0: Okay, great. How about you, Jen, your leadership roles that you have and how you came into them?
2: Sure. Um, I guess I'll start by saying uh, I never actively uh, pursued any leadership role. Um, I've always. Uh, I've been a lifelong learner and I'm, I've always tried to provide like a willingness to help out um, the team, like whatever's needed. Um, so I think from that's kind of grown into these uh, leadership roles. Um, I am a member of our school leadership team. And uh, so we meet uh, three times a month. And uh, I'm also a, a school-based uh, technology. I'm not sure the exact title, but something school-based technology assistant, uh, basically uh I kind of triage for tech with students um, so if there's a problem A teacher sends them to me first if i can't fix it or if i don't have the, the secret password then i have to forward it on to the uh, the next level um and then uh, it's kind of very similar to uh sam there during our um, during the pandemic um, when we first in march of uh, 2020 when we went all remote we were all home and uh, so at that point in time, we were using Google Classroom, and a lot of teachers had previously used that in their classroom. so we were pretty good, you know, everyone was pretty comfortable, and then uh, kind of when we came back that following year, we switched over to using Brightspace, and uh, so that became a whole new world for everyone, and uh, along with that, uh, we had the Promethean boards installed in all the classrooms, and then we had half of the students here and half the students at home, and uh, so it was new for everyone. Um, so during that time, I just kind of became like the, the tech, extra tech person and uh, doing those uh, Promethean board trainings, uh, helping out with the bright space, whatever it might be. And it wasn't just with it at the high school. Um, I would go up to like our elementary school as well and uh, kind of help them try to navigate the waters of like, how was all this working?
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I have to say that a lot of the things that you guys are doing are familiar to me as well. I've been using Google Classroom, I think, since it was first released. Um, and last, well, I guess it was in 2020 in January, I did a, a nationwide um, Zoom meeting through the national boards for for teachers on basically an introduction to how to use Google Classroom and all the things that it could do. And so certainly that has been a become an important tool. And a lot of the planning that we did around workshops there in the spring after our remote couple of months of disaster um, at the end of 2020, we we had a three professional days we had to do at the end of the year to make up for some time that we had missed in the in the gap between when we left school and when we started remotely. A lot of the workshops that we held, um, we had teachers who stepped up to lead those workshops for other people in the district. And that was that was a huge topic of conversation and continued to be so even through the fall of 2020 when we were in a hybrid environment. So I definitely get that for sure. So... Um, one of the things that I worked on in my uh, doctoral work was to try to gain better understanding about relationships between administrators and um, and teacher leaders and how, how those relationships um, either support or inhibit teacher leadership. And so I would like to hear a little bit from each of you about how you perceive your administrators in terms of the level of support they provide to you as a teacher leader, do they provide development that's specifically directed at developing your capacity for leadership? Um, or do you seek those things on your own outside or are you just a natural born leader and you don't do any of that stuff? So how about Jen, we'll start with you this time.
2: Sure. Um, I feel really fortunate. Um, I have a great relationship and mutual respect um, for both my administrators. Um, Josh uh, and Aaron are fantastic. And when I talk to uh, other teachers, and especially during the pandemic, and I was like, what? No, I I don't have that problem. What are you you talking about? Like, no, they're they're there for me. They're, They're right there with us. And, uh, and I guess for me, that's one of the things that's really important that I know that both Josh and Aaron, like, they want to ask me or anyone in the school to do something that they themselves want to feel comfortable doing. And to me, like, that is so important. And I just, I appreciate that um, because I know that unfortunately, that's not the case for everyone.
0: Yeah. Josh talked a lot about how supportive your district is as well of um, professional development workshops, going to school to learn new things and all Absolutely. that. How has that impacted you?
2: Um, for me, I mean, I've got two other masters. Uh, you know, I mean, so for me, it's it's been great. I feel that the, uh, the opportunities are there. And if people want to take advantage of that, uh, those opportunities. Our district fully
0: supports that. That's great. Well, I don't know your AP, but I would concur with everything you said about Dr. Tripp. He's just an amazing person. You I sure would have is. to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely is. Hey, Samantha, how about how about you? John Baps give you good support, Dr. Armistead and others?
1: Yeah, yeah um, it's a little different because uh, Dr. Armistead has just this year become head right. of school. So previously he was our academic team. Um, so there's a little bit of a a change in dynamics, I would say, Uh, but when Dr. Armistead was our academic dean, um, he was very approachable, so I felt like it was really collaborative when he was in that role. It's a little bit different because just his interaction with people, it's not like his responsibilities are completely different now, Um, so just kind of thinking back to the previous year, my my take on like how leadership is here is it's more like people stay out of your way. I don't know. (laughs) Like it's not difficult to necessarily, like if you have a natural inclination to take charge of something, um, you know, there's the, the path is open for you to do so. And I've described our professional development pretty similarly. So everybody kind of gets to pursue something that's that they want to do, that they're interested in. There aren't a whole lot of formal times that where, like, there's something being offered to everybody, uh, but there's a lot of financial support to go out and do different programs. Like I did a technology integrationist program through the University of Maine. And it's just very simple, like you just fill out a really brief form, like this is what I want to do and why I want to do it. And this is how much it costs. And as long as it fits within the school's budget for the year, like I very rarely hear of anybody being prevented from doing something, you know, professional development wise that that they want to do unless it's like crazy amount of
0: money. Yeah. Well, knowing Dr. Armistead, I would say the same thing. I think he's just a a fine, fine gentleman. And um, I know that he is supportive of all of you. I, I can't imagine that would not be the case. Um, I And the, the thing I did wonder about was funding, and you kind of touched on that because I've always been in public schools. Um, and so I just wondered about how the, how, how a private school might handle that differently. Like I know in our district, we have, um, we have arrangements with UMaine for, I don't know, some tuition rate and they will pay our tuition for, for courses as long as they're applicable to our jobs and so on and so forth. I assume it's the same way, Jen, in Bucksport?
2: It is, yes. Um, Whatever the uh, UMaine graduate rate is, that's what they'll pay up to. And then uh, I believe it's, uh, we can take three courses per year.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we can take 12 credits total. How about your colleagues? And one of the things that I found was difficult for me was balancing the role between because my leadership is informal. There was a, I always felt like there was a fine line between when I was trying to push people towards a new goal or when I was trying to back off and give them a chance to sort of do their own thing as we were, as we were using our PLGs last year. I guess what I'm saying is because I don't have a formal leadership role, I can't, I can't go to them and say, now's the time you got to do this. Right. I, I can only make suggestions and provide support basically. And so I wonder how you perceive that others perceive you as their leader. Samantha, you want to take that one on first?
1: Sure. Uh, So in the informal part, I, the roles that I've have had usually are opportunities for people to participate in if they want to. So I was talking about the um, Google Classroom workshops. So, you know, just kind of put it out there and the people who need that at that time and who are ready to to go on with it, like they would approach me and we get together. Um, you know, throughout the pandemic, I got a lot of emails like I'm having this problem right now. Can you please help? And to the best of my ability, I would try to get back to them right away and prioritize those requests because they were urgent and everybody was feeling vulnerable, I think, in their teaching, like they, everyone was comfortable in a traditional classroom. And then this big switch of environment, it was really destabilizing. So I that's what I tried to do as a leader is just be there to support um, my colleagues in that role. Um, does that answer that question?
0: Yeah, I think so. And then I, I guess I would add to that. What do you think that you've done to inspire the confidence in the people that come to you? What do you think they see in you that, that says, oh, here's somebody that can help me get a grasp on how this works?
1: Sure. Well, <laughs> I mean, I would assume that what I've told them to do has worked in the past. <laughs> right. So I consistency. Um, and I try to be really understanding of what they're asking. I think there are times when people reach out for help and either that person it answers a different question or they feel condescended to. So I really try to v- work with people like I said, like where they are at that time. We're all kind of on a, a different journey and we have different strengths and comforts. And giving them the respect, I think a lot of people were comfortable coming and talking to me versus perhaps someone else that would have similar skills.
0: Okay, good. Thanks. Jen, how about you? What what do you think other teachers see in you that helps them to regard you as a leader and and how do they respond to you and how do you inspire their confidence?
2: Most teachers, like they come to me a lot um, for tech help, um, obviously, and uh, they know that uh, I'm not gonna, you know, give them a hard time, you know. Um, and I've had some of them tell me that, like, oh my gosh, like I'm so embarrassed sometimes to call down to the tech department. They're like, you're, you're, you're so much more approachable, and uh, that's nice to hear. And I'm also at the same time, um, I think they feel a little hesitant or embarrassed, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't fix this myself. And I tried it stone, and I'm like. It's not a big deal, you know, because sometimes there's times where I'm like, all right, let's try to troubleshoot this together. And that's one thing that I really try to do is like, all right, let's walk through where is the problem. And then next time, hey, guess what? You're not going to need to call me. You've totally got this. And uh, so that uh, I think that people kind of see me a, a little bit more approachable.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you kind of hinted at something that. Um... I, I found to be really important um, during the pandemic, of course, I think, I, I think you'd probably agree that pretty much all teachers felt like, wow, I just don't know how to do this. I'm supposed to be the leader in this classroom and I just, how do I do this, right? Because this is all new to me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us had, you know, some idea of mm-hmm. what to do, but a lot of people were just like, man, this is just way overboard, and so that was part of the reason for the collaborative effort that I, um, I started here was to try to create support groups um, for teachers that would be more formal and have designated time for them to meet. And I also chose leaders like yourself, uh, both of you, that, that had technological expertise, right? And in fact, a couple of the leaders of our groups um, ended up being our youngest teachers because being digital natives, they were not afraid to try stuff, right? Mostly that was the reason. And they were pretty good at using those those structures like Google Classroom to make things work. So um, I want to shift our focus a little bit towards collaboration and how important that is in your ability to lead the people that you work with. Um, When when I talked with Josh, uh, Jen, my understanding is that you guys have collaborative learning time every Friday afternoon. And so I'd like to hear a little bit about how you, how you feel those groups, the structure of them, how you feel that helps your school just in terms of collaboration. And I, do, I don't know if you, do you lead one of those groups?
2: We don't really per se have leaders. So, I mean, informally, yes, I, I do sometimes. Okay. Um, so how it works is uh so our students get out at 1.20 on Fridays. And then um, normally we would have our, our collaborative, our, our PLC time as it's referred to until three o'clock. Um, this year, it's a little bit different and the high school only um, because of pandemic and contractual things. So we're actually only going till 2.30 this year. We'll go back to the three o'clock next year. Um, and these groups are um, usually they're by department. Um, not always the case. All right. Sometimes they're mixed groups as well. And uh, the mixed groups are usually mixed up by the administration, um, just so we're not all, all together. And uh, during that time, I mean, we could be looking at data or schedules or curriculum or when we head to our accreditation, all of that happens usually during that time. It's kind of a time for us to uh, to get together and you know touch base about what's going on. Uh, one thing that we have, I guess, restarted is the best thing to say is our um, instructional rounds. And so we had started this before the pandemic. We are just kind of getting to getting on board with that. And then the pandemic hit. And I feel that these are really important and I'm, I'm excited that they're back. So what we'll be doing and we're just we're not quite there yet um but we will be going into other people's classrooms um just to observe right and uh i think it's uh important um like i'm excited because i'm like oh my gosh i haven't had anyone but an administrator in my classroom you know for the official evaluation in a while and so it's important to get that feedback from our peers um because i think as educators a lot of times we get pretty isolated and it'll be nice to be like hey like I'm trying this. It's not working so well. What can I do to improve? Or going into someone else's class and being like, "Hey, that's a good. That's a good tool. I think I'm going to put that. To, you know, add that to my bag of tricks." Um, so I am. Uh, I'm very excited um, that we have kind of come full circle back to these instructional rounds.
0: Yeah, Josh had told me about that. That you were trying to do that, and I actually. Uh, before the pandemic, hit, when I first started planning our collaborative groups, that was one of my main focal points. I'm the I'm the chair of our or co-chair of our PGP committee here at, in uh, RSU District 34, and um, I am really hopeful that we can bring that back around again as well because I think peer feedback, you know, it offers the opportunity for not only for you to get feedback from peers, but it also offers the opportunity, like you said, for peers to see what you're doing in your classroom and, and figure out a way to use those, those techniques, right? I mean, you have a math teacher sitting yeah. in an English teacher's classroom. They're learning new stuff, right? This is stuff they can learn to do that they might not ever have thought of using in their classroom.
2: Exactly.
0: So I exactly. think you, you kind of get a double benefit from that, whereas when it's an administrator... It's basically a one-way feedback system. Although, I mean, certainly administrators can share the good things they see in teachers' classrooms with other teachers. But if it's if it's in person and one-on-one, you you've got a you've got a two-way street there. So I, I appreciate that you are anticipating good things out of that very much. Um Samantha, what about collaborative structures at John BAPS besides your departments? Do you do any other? I know you've talked about your Google Classroom stuff that you do. Do you have any other like more formalized structures in place at BAPS for you guys to collaborate?
1: Not formally and, and not currently. Um When we went through reaccreditation, there were different committees that worked collaboratively to look at different aspects of the school, like communication and our extracurriculars and curriculum and a lot of different elements. Um, But that was, I think, through four or five years ago now. Um, So we're in a bit of a lull as far as that goes. I think soon we'll probably be working on another strategic plan. Um, So that's when I first started about a decade ago, they were just sort of wrapping up a strategic plan cycle, which had a lot of different collaborative groups. And there were there were times for people from different departments to get together. But anything that happens along those lines right now is informal. And I would say pretty infrequent just because of the extra load related to working with students trying to get back on track from from the pandemic.
0: Right. Okay, I get that. All right. Well, speaking of the pandemic, the next the next uh, conversation I'd like to shift towards is I, I certainly hope we don't ever have to go through the the kind of stress that we did because of the pandemic. At least not in the way that we went through it. It was just such a challenge. Um, but uh, generally, I, again, I think that collaboration is is certainly um, a way for teachers to sort of build community and social capital like I talked about in the intro today. And I also think, though, that it is a way for teachers and and schools to sort of develop some resilience, right, towards dealing with um, stressors that come along in our schools, whatever they might be. So I would ask you if you agree with this idea and also if there are particular lessons that you feel like you or your school have have gleaned from having to deal with this sort of storm of the pandemic as it hit us right what are the challenges your schools face you you had lots of them and so what have you learned that you could share with people that you think might help your school to be more resilient if something like this were to happen again or if the pandemic creeps back up on us right? It is growing in some cities in the U.S. again right now, so who knows what's going to happen.
2: I guess one of the things that I I learned is that, and I knew this, but I guess I learned it, I don't know, maybe it just became a little more clear to me, but that we have a really strong staff um, at the high school. I think that we always knew we could rely on each other, but I think the pandemic kind of forced that, and it was like, hey, I need help with something, and it was it was not uncommon, um, especially like during those those first like couple couple weeks, couple months there of like someone would send an email out like, "Hey, how do I do this? You know, how do I how do I do a lab? You know, what, any suggestions?" And you would have like five, six, seven people responding. Well, hey, have you tried this? Hey, here's an example for this. And I think that we realize like we really can rely on each other, and uh, I think that's something that a lot of times we we don't think about. You know, like, oh, we can go to our our people in our department, okay, and that's it. And I think we realized, oh, hey, there's a whole school here. Um, We really are, like, all one, and uh, we're trying to do everything we could for the benefit of the students. Uh, What I think is really nice is that this is actually still occurring, like, here. So, like, this year, uh, I mean, teachers will send that blast an email out, like, hey, how do I do this? And it might be something related to Brightspace or, you know, whatever it might be. And it's the same thing. You've got people responding back of like, well, hey, here's a suggestion. Um, And so it's, that's really, it's just a nice thing to see.
0: Yeah. I think the development of social relationships was huge during the pandemic. How about you, Samantha, anything that you think your school has sort of realized about itself through all these challenges and such?
1: I would say (laughs) flexibility has a lot to do with it. So because we have a large international population, uh, it complicated things with dispersing everybody quite um, rapidly. Um, Some students were able to stay in our dorms and they actually some of them ended up staying the full summer uh, in 2020, which is unusual because they didn't know. Well, some of them, it was just too challenging to get to their home countries, but some of them didn't realize it, didn't know if they'd be able to come back either to start school here or to go on to college. So there was uh, an ability to really think quickly to try to meet the needs of students mostly. Um, And I think that's carrying on through this year where we have students who, a very small amount, I would say a small percentage, who did much better in remote school. So for whom even before the pandemic coming to school was a challenge for many reasons and they felt more comfortable doing that. And we're still finding, you know, those students coming to school, like attending school in person, um, it, like they tried and it wasn't working well. So I think, you know, a lot of teachers have been flexible in trying to work with those students where they are right now in terms of a lot of it has to do with anxiety and other complicated family situations. Um, so that being able to pivot and do multiple things at once, um, I think we're still kind of reflecting on that and learning from it. Uh, but I hope when we come out, hopefully we come out of this on the other side, we'll have some things in place to help those students for whom you know a traditional classroom isn't working well.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I think we have learned a lot of lessons about being able to better work with students who who are not as comfortable in a classroom environment as we, you know, we schools in general have always sort of fit into this sort of singular mold of, you know, have kids in a classroom and and lessons taught within this, the four walls of the room. And that just definitely had to change. So I think that's a great point. Thank you for that. So I wonder, um, we're getting down towards the end here, and I'd like to hear a little bit about what you think is in the future for you as a leader. Where do you think you might go from here? Do you anticipate staying in your current role for a while? Do you, I mean, Jen, you said you've gotten your master's in administration and you're sending in paperwork at some point. Um, what do you What do you see in the future for you? I get
2: that question a lot. Um... I, uh, I think for right now, I'm going to stay in the role that I'm in. Um, I really, I enjoy the district. I'm really happy here. Um, and it's, it's a truly, it's a great place to work and uh, you know, we'll see what the future holds. Um, as I always say, like, you know, always, always keeping my options open. Um, I think that at some point in my time, I will move into uh, and it's some sort of administrative role, um, but I'm not looking for that to happen like within the next, you know, year or so.
0: I see. And how about you, Samantha? Any, any leadership plans for you that you know of?
1: I do feel like I'm kind of at a crossroads at this point with that. I, I mean, I do enjoy being department head. I like the role that I have to work with my fine arts colleagues. At the same time, during the pandemic, I realized I did like supporting other people in the building in a more um, consistent way. But I also really love teaching. And I think to move to a different administrative role, you usually have to move away from the classroom. So it's a real yep. pull there between those two things.
0: I'm almost 30 years in, and I definitely understand that. I've, I I uh, was accepted to a doctoral program almost 20 years ago and didn't do it. And now I'm just finishing one. So we'll see what happens. So I'm familiar with, with where you both are at this point. and. You know, to say that I love teaching as an understatement. Uh, just love being in the classroom with kids. and um, So, anyway, I think that brings us to a close. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. It was really nice to meet both of you in person. And uh, I wish you luck with wherever your careers take you. Hope you'll have a good rest of your day. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. Thank, Thank you. So much. Thanks for All having right.
0: us. will give my best to your administrators for me.
1: Yeah, too. See you.
0: Have a great afternoon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye. We heard a lot of good things from these ladies today. They, um, they clearly enjoy what they do. You know, in all the interviews that I've done so far for this podcast, one of the things that I hear so often about administrators is the diversity of experiences that they've had. For instance, Sam had done after school work in community settings prior to becoming a high school teacher. And Jen has a degree in marine science and then one in library and media science and has administrative certification. and She's taught middle level science and now she's a librarian and media specialist. So I think um, a broad range of experiences is valuable. It seems like Sam's role as the department chair has taught her that she really enjoys helping to support other teachers um, in their roles in the classroom and that she probably will move on towards a leadership role that's more formalized um, outside of the classroom at some point. Although, like most teachers who consider moving out of the classroom, she certainly feels the tug of remaining in the classroom. And then Jen, she's clearly on the way towards administration with her degree, but She also thinks that she really is enjoying what she's doing right now. And so, you know, that's important. And it's good to have teacher leaders in schools. Not everybody has to be an administrator to be able to provide leadership to colleagues and to their schools. Some of the other things these ladies talked about were the level of support that they get and the support that they feel from their administrators. Both of them were very positive about you know, the relationships they have with their colleagues and with their administration. So I wanted to ask them today about how their roles might be different because one of them is a formal designated department chair and the other is more of an informal leader in her school. But I didn't find out that that really is what makes the difference. I asked them about how they think that they've come to be recognized as leaders by their colleagues. And I think both of them basically responded that they try to listen carefully to what it is that other teachers need from them and respond in ways that lift up and support those other teachers and help them to better understand the challenges that they're facing and help them to build the expertise on their own to be able to deal with the things that they are struggling with. And certainly the pandemic has given us so many challenges over the last couple of years in education. Finally, I just want to point out that um, we talked about collaboration. And one of the things that came out was um, Jen talked about at Bucksport High School, how they're going to implement their instructional rounds. And I believe very strongly in this idea that teacher peer feedback is potentially so valuable. I hope to explore that further in the future myself. Hey, thanks for listening to Sailing the Seas of Education today, captained by me, Dr. Rad Mayfield. I'm a public school teacher with 27 years of experience in navigating education as both a science teacher and a teacher leader in my schools. I hope this voyage has been enlightening and has helped you to see ways you might better reach the shores that you seek. I also hope that you will join me for the next voyage as a sail with a new crew each time on this amazing expedition. May you experience fair winds and following seas on your own voyage of discovery and education. Happy sailing!